So just, I, I've been trying to find ways of advertising the daily devotions um, because I just crossed the uh, week 1800 devotions. And uh, yeah, I don't know how many that is. Um, it's that times six, I suppose, because uh, occasionally I've done seven in a week and sometimes the internet was down and uh, I took three days off after my wife passed away and different things. And, uh, but it's, uh, how many is it? 10,800, 10, that sounds about right. But, um, uh, the, but we, I, uh, doing the count, I realized that apart from the three books that are currently pending, so I'm working on three books of the Bible at the same time. Saturdays I do Mark. During the week I do uh, currently the book of Numbers. And then every once in a while I throw in some Psalms because there, there seem to be a lot of those in the Bible. Um, however, when I finish Numbers uh, this winter, this coming winter, I'm going to take about a month and finish the book of Psalms. So that's how many I have left, is about one month's worth um, of Psalms. But that will, that, will, uh, that, that will leave me with, I think the number is eight books of the Bible I haven't touched yet. Anyway, we're, uh, if you want to look at the, the, the devotions, they're in printed format up at the information desk. So you can just grab a booklet. That's been going on since Joanne Wolf was secretary and printed them for me. And I, I keep forgetting, I never say this to people out loud. So anyway, they're there. Color picture, usually, sometimes black and white picture. Sometimes there's too much devotion, there can't be a picture. Because um, there's not enough room, you know. You gotta have multiples of four is how you make a booklet. So uh, eight pages or 16 pages, or what? On your phone, yeah, and, and other, other people. But uh, anyway. They, you can read them online or you can get them by email. And this week we're finishing up the Nazarite vow. And then we'll be starting the, uh, the Aaronic blessing, which is the Lord bless you and keep you. That's the end of Numbers chapter 6. Um, and, then, uh, and then on from there. So you go to splnewalm.org and click watch worship and then scroll down for lots of different opportunities, including these Bible classes. You can hear me call on you out loud if you watch those Bible classes sometimes. So, And before we start today, because I'm using slides that are not my own, uh, that is some of the pictures are not my own, we have a fair use slide. Um, uh, although I think everything we have today probably is okay, but I'm uh, obligated to put this slide up. Now I'm done with it. So let's begin. David becomes king, 1 Chronicles 10 and 11. Now the Philistines fought against Israel. The Israelites fled before them and many fell slain on Mount Gilboa. The Philistines pressed hard after Saul and his sons and they killed his sons, Jonathan, Abinadab, and Melchishua. Saul actually had four sons, but we're just mentioning three here because they're the three who died. Um, and this is the Battle of Mount Gilboa. Where is Mount Gilboa? Do you see the Sea of Galilee there? Okay, and you see the, the jog in the coastline, which is the only interesting coastal feature in Israel. It's Mount Carmel. That's that thing that sticks out over on the left. And then between them, 
is Nazareth so an important city? By the way, this is, uh, this is the highway map of Israel from three days ago. So this is a brand new uh, map. This is from Google Maps. And then uh, uh, you see that red uh, indicator toward the bottom. That's Mount Gilboa. And very close by, um, in the lee of the mountain, is Beth Shan, which you may remember eventually would become the resting place of King Saul's body, but not yet. Anyway, uh, this is, uh, that's how far away. And do you see the 10-mile marker at the bottom? So that's how, kind of how far you are. You're about uh, 14 miles from the southern tip of the Sea of Galilee, maybe 10 or 11 miles from Nazareth and so forth, and you're about 30 miles from Jerusalem in the south, which, by the way, is not yet an Israelite city. So at, at this moment, it's still a Canaanite city. We'll get to that later today. This is Mount Gilboa from the north. It's actually a little string of hills. Um, and uh, uh, if you've ever been to the, um, the Civil War uh, memorial location in, um, in uh, Gettysburg, has anybody been there? You see that there's a string of hills that's there ending in little and big round top and so forth, but there's Cemetery Ridge and Seminary Ridge and so forth, and it's just a string of hills. Same with Mount Gilboa. The, Gilboa is the one that's furthest away here. Uh, this is looking at it from the north, and it's in the shade because I believe it was a cloudy day, but the sun would be directly above and in front of you in this picture because you're looking south onto Mount Gilboa. So very steep, right? And what's the rule of warfare? Number one for topography, for geography, always try and defend your position from the high ground, right? Get the high ground. However, what almost always can beat having the high ground? Better equipment. Um, so if I'm defending the high ground and I just have a pistol, and a regiment comes after me with tanks and machine guns, who's going to win? doesn't matter if I have the high ground, right? And uh, what was going on here with the Philistines and the Israelites in the, in the late days of King Saul? Ever since the days of the judges, who has the best equipment? The yeah, the Philistines do. And so they had better equipment, better weapons, better training, better tactics. They had everything. And Israel had bravery, you know, and I'm, nobody would question Saul's bravery or his son's bravery. And a couple of his sons, Jonathan, for example, knew how to shoot a bow and arrow and so forth, but all the best weapons were with the Philistines. Um, so that's kind of where we're going here. The fighting grew fierce around Saul. And by the way, you may be asking yourself as this account rolls forward, where is that 39-year-old hero, David? Is he here? Well, we'll talk about that, okay? Because actually, David's location during the Battle of Gilboa, of Mount Gilboa here, is extremely important um, um, as, to, as to what's going on. Well, verse 3. Fighting grew fierce around Saul, and when the archers overtook him, they wounded him. Saul said to his armor-bearer, <laughs> so he has armor, but he got wounded by arrows. Does that make sense to you? Yeah. It should, because armor doesn't stand up to arrows. Okay, 
um, as late as, when's the Battle of Agincourt? 1350, something like that, 1400. I was in Henry V in college, and so that battle comes into my head all the time. I got to play Henry V once more unto the breach, dear friends, once more. That's how I met my wife. Um, was, uh, she was the French princess. We had a kissing scene. Anyway, um, as late as the Battle of Agincourt, people hadn't learned yet that armor doesn't stand up to arrows because you have French nobles and princes in armor, in heavy armor. And what did the British have? They had light leather uh, um, we would think of, of them as vests, really. There's not much to them. They really just help if somebody slashes at you with a sword, you know, for like one blow, and then it's parted. But, but they had longbows. Um, in fact, the, 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 uh, going back into ancient times, the idea of the compound bow or composite bow really goes back into quite ancient history. Most bow and arrow that you see today have little pulleys on the top and bottom to, to help the, air, the, 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 the arrow to fly faster and so forth and, and harder and greater distance. Well, what they would do in ancient times is they would make the bow of two different materials. So something very um, strong, um, uh, they, they tried it two different ways. Do you go strong in the middle and bendable on the end? Or do you go bendable in the middle and strong on the end? And they found out that strong in the middle, bend that thing back, and then, and then the U on the top and bottom, you have the oak, or, or no, probably, uh, what's, a, what's a, a baseball bat made out of? Um, hickory or a hash, right? That's the middle. And then you have something like U on the ends, and then, and then the thing comes back, and then the, end, and then the ends bend more. And then... Doom, that arrow can go farther, faster, and sink deeper and pierce the armor. So it didn't do any good. So Saul is wounded, um, and Saul says, Draw your sword and run me through, or these uncircumcised fellows will come and abuse me. But his armor bearer was fair, terrified and would not do it. So Saul took his own sword and fell on it. Um, anybody want to ask a question or two here? We should talk about suicide, shouldn't we? Um, okay. Uh, I want to talk about suicide two different ways. Because we are in the context of a battle, sometimes soldiers give their lives for their comrades in battle, right? That, that does happen. Um, there are all kinds of stories, uh, uh, true stories of soldiers um, uh, pushing a, an officer aside when there, when there are bullets coming or falling on a grenade, uh, doing things like that to give their lives, to preserve other lives in a battle. Um, that's giving your life, not throwing it away in suicide. Um, and it, 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 it does happen. Um, I, I, uh, but what about this? With Saul just wanting to avoid being captured. He probably would have been tortured, but he wants to avoid being captured. So he falls, and in fact, his armor bearer does it too. He falls on his sword. Um, what additional, um, or rather, um, I have a question here. Um, what passage in the Bible gives the clearest answer to the question of whether suicide is a sin? Well, clearest passage, probably. Fifth commandment, 
You shall not commit murder. That's Exodus 20.13, uh, for example. Um, and yet, uh, in our time, many of us know people. I've done four funerals at St. Paul's that have been suicides. How can we, or can we rather, sometimes comfort a family that in this case, this suicide might not necessarily be somebody rejecting God, but be um, something different going on. That maybe there was, maybe this individual, for example, um, can we say that they died of depression or despair or something like that. Um, so that does certainly happen. And I've tried to give families comfort that way. Sometimes with a family, um, to simply say to them, I can't say one way or the other, gives more comfort than they thought they were going to get. Um, and, and so you can, you can reach people who are uh, grieving and in terrible despair. Um, and there are, there, are, there are circumstances where an individual attempts suicide without knowing that it was going to end that way or doing it in such a way where they, I'll say, botch the attempt. They're going to die from that wound, but they live for a while. And there can be repentance and the terror and the faith. That's what repentance is, fear and faith. Um, uh, that can happen. I was just reading, I was going to give you something today, but I decided not to, about Saddam Hussein's execution. Because um, it reminded me of Saul's death uh, somewhat. And I was wondering if they had exposed Saddam um, before he was buried. I think that they didn't, actually, which, which is why I didn't give you anything about it. But um, a boy uh, somewhere in the world, I, I forget where, a 10-year-old, because it was on the news, a 10-year-old decided, well, how does that work? And tried it on himself because he was interested in hanging all of a sudden and hanged himself. Well, did he mean to do that? Well, of course he didn't. Um, very, very tragic um, um, thing. Well, I also want to say these two things. One is that we know these two things especially about God. One is that God is merciful. And that's everywhere in scripture. And also, um, how much faith is required for someone to be saved? Any amount of faith saves. Um, it's Isaiah 42, and it's also Matthew 12. Um, a bruised reed, I will not break a smoking wick, smoldering wick, I will not snuff out. So how much faith is required? God would like us to have an Olympic torch of faith, right? God would like me to have a big, strong oak of faith. But bent blade of grass, smoking wick, that's faith, that's still saving faith, right? I haven't gone into more about uh, David yet. I'm, I've, got, I've, got a, I've, got a, I've got almost animated maps, though, so hang on. We'll get to that. When the armor bearer saw that Saul was dead, he too fell in his sword and died. So Saul and his three sons died, and all his house died together. Actually, one member of Saul's family, his immediate family, his son, Mephibosheth, um, doesn't die here, but a little bit later. But the chronicler ends Saul's family here. From here it's done. Why is it done? Because Israel looks for a new king and uh, actually a new dynasty. 
Israel passes over Saul now. And even though one member of Saul's family is going to say, wait a second, there's going to be a rebellion, a short one. Um, but Israel is done with Saul at this point. And that's what Chronicles is getting at here with that statement. Yeah, verse 7. When all the Israelites in the valley saw that the army had fled and that Saul and his sons had died, they abandoned their towns and fled and the Philistines came and occupied them. I'm going to suggest that I don't think we mean here that the Philistines moved in, brought in their wives and kitties and their puppies and their kittens and began plowing fields and set up new industries. I think that it was more like in the Wild West when the bad guys would ride into town, shoot everything up and take the best of everything because the people are gone. But the Philistines, I don't think, really stayed very long. Um, and we have reason to, to agree with that because of what happens with David in a little bit too. So occupied them in the sense of everybody left and the Philistines plundered all those cities. Now, where did this happen? So uh, the, here we have a bigger map. Um, Philistia was really what we call today the Gaza Strip. Gaza is one of the Philistine, five Philistine cities. Um, Gaza, Gath, Eshkelon, Ashdod, and the other one, um, I forget. So anyway, there are five of them. And, uh, and so the, but that dot up there is Mount Gilboa. So how far did they go? That's 50 miles away. Well, they evidently went up the coast, up the plain of Sharon. There isn't a lot there in Israel. And then they moved in for this uh, raid deep into, but what are they doing? There are Israelites north of there and Israelites south of there. So the Philistines are cutting Israel in half. Pretty wise tactic, actually, um, if you have enough warriors. And evidently at this battle, because they've just defeated Saul's main army, that's a pretty good tactic if they can do this. Israel is already cut off by the Jordan so that there are three tribes cut off to the east. And now there are several tribes, the Galilean tribes, Zebulun and Naphtali and those, and, and Dan and so forth, that are, and Isaacar, they're all up north. And there's not much to them. And down south then, the Philistines, if I were the Philistines from this point, I would fight back to Philistia. I would come down. The next day, the next day, when the Philistines came to strip the dead... They found Saul and his sons fallen on Mount Gilboa. They stripped him and took his head and armor and sent messengers throughout the land of the Philistines to proclaim the news among their idols and their people. So they had to let their gods know what had happened because the Philistine gods don't have a very good communication system going on. And they let their people know because the people are just human. But why take his head for parades? Yeah. Parades. It's the best way to know that the, that the enemy is dead by showing people his head. Do we still do that today? Do we expose the, the fallen enemy? I was thinking of two, Stalin, but also uh, Mussolini. Mussolini. You know what happened to Mussolini? They got a meat hook. They hung him and his wife upside down from a building after they killed him. Um, so that's just World War II. That's not that long ago, is it, folks? Um, 
And uh, sure, let people know that he's dead. Let people know that he's dead. Today, it's often done a different way too, where they take statues of the guy and knock them down. How many statues of Saddam came down? I think the answer is all of them after, after Saddam fell. So they put his armor in the temple of their gods and hung up his head in the temple of Dagon. That's Dagon. Dagon was what you and I, well, what would, if you were to describe what that thing is, what would you call it? What did you say, Bev? Fishman. Fish there's, there's an eleganter word. <laughs> um, not a mermaid. He's a merman. He's a merman. Yeah, so he's got the, 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 the lower half of a, of a fish and the upper half of a guy, very pronounced hands, and he's got a little turban on, some kind of a hat, and he's got very nicely done hair, and nothing else to do all day except do his hair. So that's Dagon. Um, what do you know about Dagon? Well, later on, the Philistines are going to capture the Ark of the Covenant, and they took it into this same temple of Dagon. Um, and then things, bad things began to happen in Philistia when they had the, temp, the, the ark for a while. Anyway, um, 10, 10, 11, 10, or 11, 12. When all the inhabitants of Jabesh-Gilead heard of everything the Philistines had done to Saul, all their valiant men went and took the bodies of Saul and his sons and brought them to Jabesh. Then they buried their bones under the great tree of Jabesh and they fasted seven days. That's the usual fast for somebody who's died. If it's family, you fast 30 days. If it's not family, you fast seven days. That's typical. When Moses died, all Israel fasted for 30 days. So um, that's, that's, that's pretty typical. So they time of grieving. Um, and uh, Oh, and if you captured a girl when you made a raid into a city and her family had died and you think she's pretty though and you want to make her your wife, God said, give her the 30-day fast. So before you take her as your wife, she gets to fast for her family first and give her, give her that. Um, Jabesh Gilead is across the river. So this is the area where John the Baptist was um, baptizing people. It's on the other side of the Jordan about halfway down, if that's your easiest way of remembering it between the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea, about halfway down on the east side, the Moabite side, that's Jabesh-Gilead. It's right on the river. So it was, it was right there. Um, and they went, made a little raid, and got the bodies of Saul and his sons. Now there's a judgment here as, as this chapter is about to end that isn't in the book of 1 Samuel. This, by the way, this story is, is recounted for us in the last chapter of 1 Samuel. There are a couple of differences, but they're pretty minor. Um, but this one is unique to Chronicles. Saul died because he was unfaithful to the Lord. He did not keep the word of the Lord and even consulted a medium for guidance. What does that mean? The witch of Endor. Do you remember that story? Saul, and by the way, in, in our account here of the Battle of Mount Gilboa, that was about a week ago. So Saul had just consulted with the witch of Endor. He was looking for David. David kept running away from him. David was, as far as Saul was concerned, an enemy combatant. David had his, his troop of mighty men, his uh, specially armed 
uh, group of raiders. And he was working for a different king at this time. We'll talk about that in a minute, just, just a minute. Um, but Saul went up to visit the witch of Endor. She called forth the ghost of Samuel. Samuel the prophet had died. And there in, this is around 1 Samuel 28 or 9. Um, where, uh, and whether it's really the, the, the spirit of Samuel or a demon speaking like Samuel, we never get a decent answer for Saul. He just scares the willies out of everybody. But he kind of just says, why have you brought me up from the grave? You know, and then it and really runs away. But, uh, but that, that much happens. Um, and the witch screams and didn't expect that to go on and so forth. And Saul doesn't get much of an answer. But he even consulted a medium for guidance and did not inquire of the Lord. So the Lord put him to death and turned the kingdom over to David, son of Jesse. And this is the theme of the chapter. It's the transition from Saul to David. And the, our author wants us to understand this is how David became king. You've been listening to Invisible Church, the Bible study podcast from St. Paul's Lutheran Church, New Wall, Minnesota.